Hi everyone and welcome back. It's Luke. Uh, you're on the Moments podcast and thanks for tuning in again. Um, I'm with David and uh, perhaps a, a slightly different um, uh, background to some of those that we might have had in the past in terms of educators or HR professionals or somebody giving a perspective on work. Um, but a huge amount of David's focus in what I've followed um, is around uh, transformation. And with transformation comes a lot of focus on the people and the work uh, that they're doing to transform the companies. Um, so maybe we'll start off with David, if you could just give us a little bit of an intro to you and to 11FS, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, my name is David Breer. I'm the CEO over at 11FS. Um, 11FS, we started four years ago now as a really just a reaction to what we believe the market needed. There's billions and billions and billions of pounds being spent within financial services and people not really achieving a great deal off the back of that. Um, you know, despite the aspiration getting bigger and bigger, unfortunately, the ways in which people are sort of going about these things, it's um, almost kind of, uh, you know, gives a perfect example of the definition of madness, you know, just doing the same thing over and over and again and expecting a different outcome. So what we tried to do was pull together a group of people who have really been there and done it when it comes to creating new things or, as you say, digitally transforming some of the large incumbents because the ways in which the world has, has changed uh, is, is quite phenomenal. And the old world where everything was sort of well and good within that analog sphere is, is very much changed as the, the move to digital has, has, has sort of reshaped a lot of what the uh, the principles are when it comes to actually what financial services could and should be so for us we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to educate people on how the world works and, and where they can really materially have uh, as much impact as they uh, as they need to I think as you said a lot of it kind of comes back to you and I uh, I mean I almost or myself saying this now but it's it's actually it's um, nothing really matters other than talent and culture uh, and actually a lot of people kind of get very focused on very large amounts of technology, whether it be AI or blockchain or whatever. Um, but fundamentally, if you can attract the right talent into your organization and you can create the right culture, then everything else is easy. Yeah, I completely. So I, um, before starting um, Mo, I was at WorldPay, which is a big payments company. Yeah. Um, and I saw them get divested from RBS in 2010 and kind of effectively completely rebuild the brand from the inside out. And And when I, what I mean by that is um, the cultural transformation and the people change is really what created the platform for the brand to appear so differently on the outside. It resonates a lot. Um, so maybe if we could start with um, transformation and what we, what we kind of really mean by that, because when I think of transformation, I saw one at WorldPay and lots of Bain consultants came in and um, I've seen some others with a McKinsey coming in and big blueprint documents or, you know, um, kind of binders thicker than you can probably carry um, that compare where you are and where you want to go quite broadly um, and then manifest themselves in work streams that people try and do over the kind of next few years or so. Um, but it'd be great to get your thoughts on like, what, what do we really mean when we talk transformation? Um, mm. What are some of the threads and why do you think something like financial services transformation is only kind of 1% complete, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. Yeah, digital banking only being 1% finished is really how we sort of started the company. Uh, when it comes back to the, you know, the the sort of purpose of 11FS, really, that that drives us forward because it's sort of a, a bit of a mantra that we have where actually with all of the technological changes, the regulatory change, you know, everything that we're seeing within the competitive and customer landscape, that actually 
to only be at 1%, which is where we really, you know, in some instances, in some verticals, that feels kind to say 1% finished. Um, you know, in others, there's a little bit more progress, but probably not much more than that. Um, and when we say that, it's not really a um, too much of an indictment. It's the fact that actually the industry is, is changing so quickly that there's 99% of opportunity still ahead of us. Um, as you say, when it comes to digital transformation programs, you know, they're set up more like, you know, the creation of a, a large scale army, you know, it's how many thousands of people, it's over what period of time, it's like a gigantic campaign costing, you know, tens of millions of pounds and, and taking huge amounts of, uh, you know, manpower to kind of move these things forwards. And the reality of the, the world that we live in just doesn't work like that anymore. It isn't a uh, a campaign where you uh, you know commit for three years this amount of money and this amount of approaches the world changes so quickly that as as we've sort of found with with everything that's happened over the last uh, couple of weeks that it's actually the people who responds quickest to change that happens within the market or happens within working practice that actually are the most effective um, you know there are a few things that often go wrong when you look at those major scale transformations that happened over that period of time I mean I've I've seen tier one bank spends you know well over a billion pounds to get to the end of the program to realize that actually the world they thought they were working towards doesn't exist um or worse than that they forget that actually at the end of the project that somebody has to care uh, and usually the customer hopefully <laughs> at the end of that process so i mean what we look for and actually really the period of time that we're, we're in right now i mean we've seen many big financial services organizations try and go from that analog world that they really really understood they've gone from you know bricks and mortar and people and process and paper and and all the good things that go with that you know gold in the safe and money in the bank as it were um into this sort of weird digitized world where many organizations are taking the processes the practices the the things that they knew and well and trusted and and sort of digitizing them to take people and paper out of the process this has mainly been the focus of many of those digital transformation programs for a really long period of time and, and what that's led to is this sort of weird uh, setup where uh, websites look like pieces of paper and you know the the functionality that we had in branch has been dramatically reduced to to give a, a, a digital capability and and really what we've led to is analog products really just being sold through digital channels and now for us, that isn't really digital. If you look at all of the opportunities that and what would a, you know, a real time, intelligent, contextual, human, uh, extendable and social service really give? Well, that's not just being able to see your statement online. Um, fundamentally, the abilities within financial services can be really rethought to deliver experiences and capability and benefits to the end consumer. That's never really been there before. Um, and this is hard because, I mean, as you say, with big banks whether it's you know NatWest or HSBC or Barclays whoever um you know it's it's hard to feel sorry for them in such success but they've been ridiculously successful for the last 300 years you know they have been the pinnacle of their industry particularly within the the sort of European markets um and now through mergers and acquisitions and uh, through being in a situation where they've they've not quite fulfilled the digital transformations that they put forward, they've got technology and operational process uh, and operational cost that's just sort of out of control. Um, I mean, many of the big banks are committing, you know, four or five billion for the next three to four years just to kind of keep the lights on from their operational cost perspective. So, yeah, I mean... It, 
it, it's a it's an interesting time for those guys but the best thing about this whole industry and really the dawn that fintech has brought about is is showing that fundamentally there is a better way um you know new players coming into the space like the monzos the starlings the revolutes has shown that actually by adopting technology and operational capability more akin to technology companies than financial services companies they can do what the big players do just do it in you know five weeks rather than five years and it can cost them twenty thousand rather than 20 million um and this is is showing the the big organizations you know the old dogs are kind of learning new tricks from the new pups as it were um which is phenomenal for the industry because it just feels like actually the opportunity to really change the industry is 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 much more significant than ever before yeah it's an interesting one for, for me um the, the kind of whole thread of transformation and where are you going from and where are you going to at a pace of such significant change like there's so many macro factors that and and micro factors that are uncontrollable that influence how you think about transformation is it's more a process than an outcome yeah i mean i I think the the best thing anybody can be investing in right now is operational capability to move faster um you know because essentially as you say with the the kind of microclimate uh you know not obviously not just everything that's happening with uh coronavirus but actually fundamentally everything that's changing in and around the the space then actually at a macro you're looking for sustainable competitive advantage right on the micro well if everything is changing in your industry continually then the best thing you can be doing is change so yeah you know fundamentally if you look at somebody like a monzo you know monzo have made it you know public knowledge they can go from a good idea to it being live with five million customers in three weeks um you know from a technology yeah i mean from a technology perspective they they do somewhere between 80 and 100 releases to live a day um whereas actually if you kind of look at one of the major high street banks it would be probably at best once every couple of months um and actually this this inherently there's sort of a um a slightly perverse um logic with the banks which is i mean if we if we do everything really rigorously and we take our time and and then move to you know these releases then actually we de-risk things but the reality of that is not true because actually if, if everything is big yeah, it is slow. If everything is big, it costs a lot of money. If everything is big, then there's inherently a lot more risk in the change that you're actually putting forward. Because if you could do a hundred releases a day, and if one of them is tiny and there's a problem with it, A, you can atomize where that issue is really quickly, but B, you can roll it back to, to reduce the impact of the, you know, the, the change that you're looking to make. So, I mean, for, for me, it's, it's um, if you stand back from these things with a logical mindset, the smaller the increments of the change, the more you can measure the impact that you're having and the more you can roll back that change if there was any problem that would happen. So I honestly think there's this, um, I mean, our, our CTO, Ewan often says this at 11FS, he, his background was, uh, you know, nutmeg, but before that, Betfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and building out the in-play capability at Betfair, you know, his view was, you know, financial services, banking and betting, it's probably just a different license. It's not much more difference from that. Um, but actually, if you in betting, you can do, you know, 100 million people watching the World Cup final and the odds every millisecond changing when the wind is blowing in a different direction. Uh, and you're dealing with that data set changing so rapidly, then 
for financial services, lending and current accounts and credit cards should be really, really simple. Um, yeah. But it's an industry that actually just makes it harder for itself, which is uh, which is sad given how fundamentally important it actually is for everybody's day-to-day lives. Yeah, uh, the, 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 the other consideration for me is one of... Um like how you set the brand expectation and then how you deliver on the brand promise. Cause a lot of this for me is whether it's digital or analog, it's a, it's, it's a manifestation of the brand in the way in which you experience it is the way that I think about things. So um, a lot of it is about how you're setting the expectation in my mind and then how you're going about delivering on that expectation mm. because a Monzo is you, you expect a very different type of interaction interaction with a Monzo to you do an RBS, for example. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's an interesting one, isn't it? You you set a, a different bar, don't you? Um, I mean, when it comes to you know experiences or like say the uh, the service you expect to get from them, I, th- I think this is probably the other thing that really sort of lost its way a little bit within within banking was just talking to humans like humans if i'm honest um i think this has been one of the reasons why many people have really uh, gravitated to the challenger banks is i mean they're just easy to understand uh, you know there's been a, a a massive drop in trust through you know really using i mean any industry where they start to use more acronyms than uh, than not is usually trying to sort of obfuscate business models or uh, you know uh, ensure that people kind of don't quite understand the industry um, so you know the the most financial services terms I'm not sure normal people really get what they are you know whether it's APR or you know whether people actually fundamentally understand how compound interest is is set up or really if they actually understand the statements that are given to them you know most most people don't have a a really detailed grasp of how percentages work, never mind the fundamental backup of what APR is. Um, and this is quite worrying because um, in a world where, you know, four or five banks have been able to control the market for a very long period of time, then you can sort of get away with, you know, punitive charges being how the business model really works. You know, most most current accounts are, are paid for because of the bottom 5% straying into an overdraft and paying for free banking for everybody else. Um, and it's, it's a weird one that's been allowed to kind of run for such a long period of time. And arguably, as you say, you know, a Monzo coming along and being just a lot simpler to understand and setting a different tone for their interactions with plain English and emojis, uh, you know, gives them an ability to attract a customer base that's just looking for people to treat them like human beings. You know, uh, it's a simple test we always do is uh, that if you uh, sent out a letter from your, your financial services company, um, but if you just sent it, took the text and sent it to a friend, would they still be your friend? Uh, and in most uh, most instances, the answer would be no, because it's it's not really fit for human consumption in, in most instances. Yeah. Yeah. And um, give us a sense in the context of um, work, how people are applying the same kind of um, thinking to the inside of the organization rather than the customer experience, because we've had Monzo involved in a couple of uh, Tara, who's the head of people, uh, has done a podcast and come to a couple of our events. And it fascinates me in the way in which they operate in that they have a people collective, they have engineers and data scientists within the people-focused team Mm. delivering experiences. It happens often to be in a digital format, but an approach that is how they're delivering for customers. Like, is it possible? I always think of 
brands doing it for customers first is almost like creating a veneer rather than fixing the the, the, the core. Yeah, um, do you, completely. What, do you see people focus efforts internally in really getting this right and the pace of change firing before they then try and transition it to the outside? Or do you find people forcing through the change processes on the inside to deliver faster and better customer uh, experiences to the customer? I mean, I'd, I'd love to say on the big bank perspective that uh, more were taking it seriously on that the, you know, I, I, I sort of say it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it, um, which means, you know, it's not about the the output from the process that you're trying to put in place. It's the process being efficient in the first place. Um, it goes back to that point that we were making around sustainability. Really, it's it's about having you know, sharp swords in this environment rather than having the, the ability to chop something down. So f for me, I, I think um, not enough people definitely are doing that. I mean, going back to our point earlier on, you know, digital fundamentally now is, is, a, is a small team sport. You know, it's not about having your IT division and your business division and your design division. It's about small groups of highly trained teams who come together you know usually you know engineering product design who actually are empowered to make decisions and move things forwards um, when it comes to the you know inside of, of many big organizations actually the uh, the technology that they have um, within those organizations really dictates how they are uh, manifesting themselves out to the their consumers so you know there is a credit cards IT division, there is a current account IT division, you know, and actually they will be different to the people who are creating the product, they will be different to the people who are creating the, the user experiences. And nobody is really accountable for that change. Um, I mean, I think if you go back to, you know, the Monzos or the Revoluts, they have the ability to create small multidisciplinary teams of people who take personal accountability for moving those things forward in a, in a major, major way. And this is really why they're able to, to move these things forward and do them. But it, to my point earlier on, it becomes a, an exercise, not really in what they're doing, but the manner in which the organization is actually allowing them to, to make those things happen. So, you know, culture plays such a significant role in, in actually not only the what they can do, but fundamentally to your point, how that actually manifests that service, that experience up to the consumer. So I think a lot of people really emulate sort of the signs of success very often, particularly when the big banks, you know, they, they look at, um, I don't know, Apple stores and go, well, they've got wood floors and they've got, um, you know, free Wi-Fi. So if we do that with branches, then they'll be successful. Um, failing to remember that the things that actually made them successful in the first place were, were completely different to that. Um, so for me, the, you know, the, the things that really make organizations successful is it's not, you know, bean bags or post-it notes. It's not, uh, you know, having a, uh, you know, a, a dress down on Friday policy. It's fundamentally being in a situation where you've got the, the people who are given a purpose, who are highly trained, uh, the subject matter that they're responsible for, whether it's, you know, engineering, product, design, whatever. Um, and actually that you as an organization create a, a culture that really unleashes that potential within them. Uh, and then whatever you shine that light on will be successful. I th it's one of the things that I, I struggle to get my head around sometimes. Um, is that business or strategy go-to-market type people mm. 
generally get a huge amount of the budget allocation and <laughs> HR tends to struggle quite a lot for the budget and would normally be put in control of the people. Um, and you're in a position in which um, the, the go-to-market and the strategy folk can ask for more money and make more investment, but always ignored is starting right at the core with the people. Yeah. And people are always expected to do far more, like genuinely transform themselves in the way in which they work and operate and think about stuff um, with no financial support or no time to make those considerations. And are practically asked to perform a miracle for the benefit of a customer experience because it never seems to be quite baked into the business case. Like it, the investment consideration on the people element is at the end of the itemized list of things that might be considered rather than at the start. Yes. And I, I just, I wonder if that's reflected and how you get people to genuinely commit to putting the right amount of focus on the internal kind of operating approach to deliver these successful outcomes. Um, I, I think we're, um, sadly, I, I, you know, I think we're at a good point now in that, which is people have done it wrong 25,000 times beforehand um, and have now come to the point where they've, they realize that actually, you know, as I said, that definition of madness, just, just keeping spending another, another billion pounds in the way that they've done it before is not going to get them to where they need to be. Um, which is why, uh, you know, the, the two things can always kind of motivate people. It's uh, fear or opportunity. Um, and actually right now, I think there's so much fear in the market, given the success that, you know, the, the startups, the, you know, the fintech startups are really having mm. globally, that actually those big organizations have to realize that there is, there has to be a better way um, because it's being shown to them the success that that can actually drive. You know, you've got, um, you know, bars for NPS being fundamentally reset. You know, First Direct used to be the the you know epitome of of customer service and customer satisfaction for you know sort of a decade. Uh, now being massively eclipsed by these organisations coming in who have been doing it for four years. So yeah. um, you know, I, I, and I think that isn't about funding. You know, these organisations have got less money than the big banks have. Um, it, it really is about the way in which they're doing it and most of that focus comes down to uh, talent people and culture you know actually um you know the only other thing that i'd sort of add to that was probably purpose um which for me encapsulates everything that uh, people function really should be driving forward um you know I, I think a lot of the a lot of the struggles that the big organizations kind of come back to is is that purpose piece because they since the crisis i'm not sure enough of them have really done a a really hard reset on what it means to work at their organization. You know, where is the bar for talent? Um, you know, how do we know people are really performing in the way that they should do? Um, and actually a lot of the, you know, newer thinking on even things like performance management means that actually you're changing the, the dialogue with your, uh, your employees to be the most valuable asset that you actually have, not the things that you, you know, you, you hope don't just run away with your data or join your competitors. Um, so in part, I, I agree with that, but I also feel like the performance management framework is kind of experiencing some of the same analog products in a digital format type framing that you gave earlier in that we're only kind of really doing the same thing that we always did just more often 
um, in most of the performance management frameworks that exist yeah. out there today. Do you, do you I mean, know what I mean? It doesn't feel like work has been fundamentally redesigned. Yeah, I mean, my 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 background, you know, I should sort of say for anybody listening to this, my background, um, I mean, I started playing sports and I, I mean, I was doing 11 different county sports. I played basketball semi-professionally and was sort of heading off to to sort of do a sporting thing until I uh, unfortunately tore all three ligaments in my left knee and I had to figure out what a proper job felt like. Um, <laughs> so um, for me, you know, I bring to 11FS a lot more sports psychology and sports science, uh, meaning performance management for us is something that happens in play. You know, this is about uh, feedback in the moment. It's about making sure that we do, um, we are very self reflective in terms of what our priorities are. Everybody, as an example, everybody on a daily basis will reflect for the first five minutes of the day on what their most important thing is that they have to do. Uh, and then the entirety of the organization will post that together. Um, we do performance management monthly. We do it quantitative against our values and our attributes for our company, meaning that actually everything starts to take on more of a uh, how do we move the organization forward? And I mean, performance management for for years and years has been something that senior managers do on an annual basis to employees. Um, whereas actually in a sporting context, I mean, you don't wait till the end of the year to tell a striker to act differently in front of goal. If you really want to drive performance and you really want the striker to be better, then you do it immediately, if not you know, directly after the last time that they missed the goal. So, you know, how can you bring more and more of that sports psychology into business? Because essentially the the competitiveness of it, but also the data-driven decision-making of it just means that actually the, you know, the fundamental transparency from an organization to their employees means that everybody aligns behind the thing that is most important. Um, so I agree with you. While I think many of the programs that I've seen in big organizations uh, is a, you know, it's the thing I did on paper suddenly in a, uh, you know, a, a thing that gets sent to me an email, uh, you know, that isn't going far enough. But if you really, really believe that culture is the most important thing to your organization, then I feel like a lot of people should and, you know, arguably could if they thought about it a little bit more logically, uh, do a lot more. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I'm going to jump to one of the questions I'll actually pen down a little bit later on my list for you, which is just around um, getting your views on how um, some of the kind of threads of transformation that we've been talking about are transforming the way that we work. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess some consideration for what people are doing, but also for what kind of things you're championing. I know we've touched upon a little bit of kind of sports psychology and it being much more in the moment, but if we can think about it through the eyes of the worker, rather than trying to increase productivity output in, in this kind of performance focus, like how does, what, what does it really mean in terms of transformation for me as a worker going to work? Like, how should people be thinking about it and approaching it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, there's many corporate organizations, you know, I should say before this, I've been, you know, a management consultancy house, a research house, a, a bank, a big bank, a big insurance company, a big in the offshoring company as well. So I've sort of experienced it on many different sort of sides of the fence. Um, 
what I've sort of found is that um, you know the purpose piece is is lacking in in many organisations and many of the organisations that we've we've worked with recently as well. It's that people kind of expect people just to be motivated. They expect people to be um, able to just turn up every day and you know be productive in the way that they would want them to be. Um, not really taking into account that actually everybody is fundamentally different in terms of what motivations and and and, uh, uh, and and support that they need to be able to do those things. I think this is what is sort of dawning on many employers is that, uh, you know, employees are all fundamentally different types of human beings and therefore need different approaches. Um, and actually a big part of that is laying out a very concise uh, understanding of the uh the what how and why of that business um i think the the what is often i think to your point earlier on around you know people who go to market you know the what within many big organizations is usually um i mean it bears very little resemblance maybe to to what they really do you know it's more marketing than it is it's marketing a world that they would like rather than, than necessarily actually saying on a practical level what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the how is very often very missing. You know, the how for me within a, a, an organization should be really explicitly the values and the attributes that actually are most important to an organization to actually understand where on a day-to-day -day basis the behaviors that you should exhibit and the ways in which you should go about that work um, and if you have those two things clear if you have the, the what is it that the organization is there to do the how in which day-to-day -day interaction is is set up then actually you can start to to foster uh, culture you know this is really just what culture is it's the the ways in which people will act whether you're there or you're not there right um, so being able to give very clear uh, examples of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable that actually allows everybody to start having much more uh, you know tough conversations to take ownership of decisions um, and, I, and I think it, it moves to a you know less of a hierarchical setup where you know the ceo of the business makes every decision or things need to be escalated to the board to one where actually you can really start to trust employees because you know that uh, most people will make a consistent message uh, consistent decision because of the frameworks that you've actually put in place for people to understand them um, and that again fundamentally changes how businesses operate because if actually i mean if i had to make every decision at, at 11fs that we were doing the whole company would have to slow down by 10 times uh, i just literally couldn't cope or couldn't deal with the amount of meetings or the amount of things that would be needing to be brought to my desk um but i think that's fundamental there of trusting your people decision making to, to the edges in terms of uh, being able to make decisions and move fast and move things forwards um that probably is the most fundamental thing that's that's stepping in the way of of many of the uh you know the the people that are, are struggling with this really and i think if you look at i mean typically the the environment we're in now with with corona um you know the the problem that people have had from working from home has not really been a technological one it's not really been you know laptops and you know can we buy zoom licenses and these things it's a cultural inhibitor can can we trust people to do the work that we want them to do when we're not watching them do it um and that really for me just keeps coming back to the same thing it's like get the culture right in your organization make sure you've got the right talent in it and uh, and they take accountability for the things that you need them to do
And um, maybe um, it'd be just because at the heart of your work in financial services is, is essentially around design, right? It's how do you design systems, approaches, and ways of operating that um, create a competitive advantage based on the discussions that we've had today. Tell me if I've massively misinterpreted that. Um, but if, if you were to apply some of the same thinking and instead of financial services, you had workplace um, and you were considering a redesign from the kind of ground up mm-hmm. such that uh, the traditionalist workplaces have this inflection point where a Monzo races by them or a Revolut races by them in terms of pace of adoption and acquisition um, of new people. Like, can you give us some thought as to, you know, if you didn't have the baggage of a top-down hierarchy or mm-hmm. the fact that when I started working in a bank, you had to wear a suit um, <laughs> or you had to go to an office to do your work because we've proven, you know, over the last two or three weeks that that doesn't necessarily have to be true um, or anything else for that matter that's attached to work that you have to be paid money maybe rather yeah. than paid in a learning opportunity or donated everything that you earned to the NHS. I don't know. Whatever it might be, if you dropped all of that stuff, like how would you, what are, what are the areas in which you think are most deserving of a fundamental redesign when it comes to work? Sure. Um, I, I think for, for me, I mean, we, we do this work. So it's, um, I think the, the, the type of processes that we, we all sort of look at is we always talk about attract, attain, acclimatize, and then what happens after. I mean, the big bit in the middle, we call it the 11 life program, which is what we've built up for our people and our, our process at 11 FS. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you, uh, look at attracts you know attract is all about having the the right employer branding it's about having the right talent team in place to make sure that the uh, the opportunities that are coming up at your organization are being seen by other people to create that top of funnel right you want um the um the flow from great talent applying to your organization because that's what keeps the you know the circulation kind of going um when it comes to the attain process that's a really about being in a situation where how do you understand really really quickly whether they can do the job but also can do the job at your organization so how do you hire for culture how do you ensure that actually you're uh, you know your your um, understanding that somebody's applied for this job but actually their skill sets is maybe much more applicable to this other thing that you you've got sort of coming forward um, on the acclimatized point and this is really really important uh, important is I mean from the minute somebody signs a contract this is the opportunity to get them up to speed with the the oscillations that your organization do um, you know getting them to understand your values getting them to understand your tooling getting them to understand uh, the rituals of your organization you know all of these things if you've got you know 90 days or 30 days from their old job to the new job then how do you really get them up to speed with everything that you you do and everything that you believe um when it comes to the day-to-day uh the sort of life circle is as as it sort of fits for us that cycle that kind of goes round and round then it's about again continually setting the standards and showing people why they're important um you know the the rituals that your organization goes through for uh you know objective setting or daily priorities or the things that matter most to you 
Um, how can you continually be improving that and moving moving it forwards? And then the last one of these is is about exit. I mean, whether it's a somebody who's leaving because they're off to do something awesome somewhere else, or whether it's somebody who hasn't hit bar on a few of the things that you've been managing through performance management and then are exited. I mean, I, I think you can really tell the good companies from the bad that actually focus as much on exits as they do uh, new entrants. Um, and keeping that relationship with those people is is really, really critical because it's a very small uh, industry. And, um, and just because somebody isn't necessarily right for right now, it doesn't mean that they won't be right in the future. So uh, for, I think across all of those things, though, I think the you know, a lot of organizations would say, well, I mean, we have a HR team or we have a, you know, we have a performance management system in place. Um, but again, many organizations are adopting models that have worked in other companies. Um, you know, many organizations are trying to adopt Spotify's agile working methodology, but failing to remember that Spotify's team were what made that most successful. Um, so for me, unless this really sort of passes through the filter of your own, your own vision, your own mission and your own values that you have as an organization, then they never really sort of come to life. So, um, but I, I, if I'm honest, uh, as you said earlier on, the main thing is giving a group of people the the potential to change these things because if you're only really invested in ROI of things that come back with uh, you know direct revenue attributed to them then it's going to be very difficult for you to to ever spend enough time to to really care or change the culture that actually is manifested within the organization and and that's the sad reality I think that many organizations have, have got themselves into is um, you know, HR and talent within big companies is more like oil. It's it's just there to keep the machine going. It's not a fundamental part of the machine in its in itself, which um, really I see it as it should be. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's a it's a tough one, right? It feels like you've got to be bold and brave to be the people that make that decision first and believe that the return will come. Um, well, I don't know. I think um I think the the way in which you do it is by showing. Uh, showing the benefit. I mean, if you, if many organizations, I mean, the amount of big companies you see stand up and talk about, we are a technology company, but fundamentally just can't attract the technology talent, you know, engineering capability to their organization because of their culture. Um, I mean, you can show it really quickly of people turning down you rather than you turning down them. Um, and then when it starts to come to analytics of, I, I mean, this is a, a big point. I'm sure you guys find this all the time is, people just don't measure things when it comes to culture. You know, it's very hard for them to get their head around turning qualitative numbers into, you know, quantitative views. And, and because of that, it's a, it's just a feeling that they have, you know, they communicate what uh, something wants and then it's, it's done. It's, you know, they, uh, they don't really do uh, performance management in a way that understands how communications or market changes or anything really affects people's performance. And, I mean, it's just, it just seems crazy. Again, when you say all of this stuff out loud, it seems really obvious, doesn't it? Your biggest <laughs> investment you're making is in your people, but equally your biggest blind spot when it comes to analytics and understanding and managing of those performances is your people. So it, it just seems wasteful to me. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. And maybe on, on, this, uh, on this topic, uh, my last question for you is around... So at Mo, we're building a technology platform. Um, mm -hmm. So it kind of plays into this um, conversation. The focus for us is around how do you create and capture moments at work? So in the experience that you have, think of it like 
capturing a moment on Instagram before it got filled with social influencers and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, but something that is holds sentimental value to you that is important, stands out as a highlight or a low light. And I'm sure coronavirus will be remembered where we're all stuck at home as one of those moments in time, hopefully, that um, stands out as potentially quite a negative one. Um, but we, we use those moments to connect people, to create a sense of community, and ultimately in times like this to build build that sense of connection and uh, maintain a level of strong mental health. Um, at the heart of this is that sense around relationships and relationships being one of emotional commitment rather than just rational commitment, how we think about work. Um, and work often has tried to engineer thinking around rational considerations and thought. And I think this time in that we are at the moment has transitioned a lot of thinking actually to one of care and genuine consideration of whether people are okay with an emphasis on health, but also I think the point that you made earlier in terms of coronavirus has highlighted a cultural challenge rather than a technical one. Um, we're finding that our usage is just literally skyrocketing across a number of customers um, because of that sense of connection and community that people want. But you, in, in the digital transformation of financial services, you're kind of solving some of the same problems, which is that the heart is one of trust, especially when trust was broken a lot through the financial crisis. And I think the banking system is much stronger now, but still it's a fundamental um, trust challenge. And then one of relationship, which makes you want to feel like you don't want to leave your bank or you want to talk about your bank to other people because you're connected and committed to it. Mm. It, it would just be great to get your sense of the role of technology in building, fostering and really strengthening relationships so that it doesn't get lost and we don't rely on the tech to do the job like what what what's the job to be done of a technology platform in the context of building those strong relationships yeah no i mean that product sounds super interesting i think um to your point it's the the sort of internal instagram moments isn't it that actually all projects go through you know the first transaction or the team getting together or the you know the christmas dues or whatever you know being, being able to pull those things together is a it's kind of a shared memory for the organization isn't it which um you know I mean, I think technology um, has a major part to play in that. I, I think, um, you know, people are talking about digital like it's still a, a channel. It's not, you know, digital is everything, you know, whether it's being uh, manifested to a human that's providing the experience or whether it's to an app. It's still digital because the underlying capability that is there uh, fundamentally is te technology. So, but I think yeah. um, to our conversation earlier on around challenger banks, I mean, I think, through the process of people being removed um, from the banking experience, actually what we got was a, a very generic, you know, one size fits nobody, uh, you know, experience that was provided by a website. Um, you know, there used to be such warmth and humanity in that process through a, the interface being a, you know, a lady or a gentleman sat in a branch kind of in your situation and being able to work with you as a, as a human. Um, I think many of the organizations now are realizing that, uh, you know, reducing and removing all of those things is, is really just exposed technology to people that wasn't really ready to be exposed to them. So I think definitely technology has a huge part in creating and facilitating communities. It has a huge part in just fundamentally connecting people uh, day to day. I think if anything from the 
the the positives that we can take from what's happened with corona is i think people are connecting in a in a much more healthy way you know video is kicking off because people are getting uh, the ability to not only hear people but look into their eyes when they're talking to them um and communication is always so much better when you can see people so um yeah i think technology facilitates the, the the dawn of the new age of financial services um and i think humans have got a, a very large part in that still to play um that's me done so i guess all that is left is a is a massive thank you for um sharing your wisdom um and all that's going on from a maybe a slightly different perspective um, which is really useful so thank you ever so much for your time no problem at all thanks for having me on